I'm Trey. I'm the pastor here. It's good to see you all today. Um, I just want to say thank you again to Rachel for that beautiful testimony and um, to Ty for his ministry. Uh, you know, I have to say about Ty, like, I knew Ty was funny, but Ty is really funny. <laughs> I was saying in between services, like, really, you should think about doing some stand-up stuff. I really think, I mean, it's raw, it's, 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 it's raw right now, but, uh, <laughs> but I think it could continue, I think yes, do it, yeah, so, uh, too soon? <laughs> um, <laughs> God, I love you all so much. Uh, I've been giving hugs this morning and uh, remembering a lot of first coffees with people. For some reason, that's one of the things that sticks in my mind. I can remember where I met y'all for coffee the first time. God, I can. And um, because some of you, that was like three years ago or two years ago or six months ago, I can just, because I can remember that first point, I can also see what God has unfurled in you since I first met you. And it's just beautiful. So thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, y'all. For, for letting me be part of this with you. I really, I'm not just, it's, like false, it's not false humility. I really feel like I have gotten in on something good with you and been able to be part of it. And um, so thank you. Um, let's pray. God, help me surrender Myself, help us surrender ourselves to you, to your life that's flowing in us. And as we surrender, may we be picked up and experience participation with you, God. That we would hear your good news and find ourselves also responding and speaking and just spinning that good news out. So help us, help us surrender and also um, be thrown out into the world with joy and trembling. Amen. So our nine-year-old niece and five-year-old nephew visited us last winter in Chicago. They were really excited about seeing us and spending time with us, but they were very, very excited about seeing the city and experiencing all the city had to offer. Uh, that is, they were very excited until they actually got to the city, and then pretty soon after they got here, things went downhill pretty quickly. Um, for example, we took them ice skating at the iconic Millennium Park. The, the picture-perfect being there with, you know, the ice skating rink, and we got there, and it's beautiful. It was about this time of the year, and it's festive, and there's Christmas carols, and people are in jolly moods, and they're like, the line's too long. It's too crowded here. My skates don't fit right. I can't do a triple Lutz on my first try. So we took them after that to a French bakery for real, real hot cocoa, y'all, with steamed full-fat milk and a little ceramic pot of melted gourmet chocolate that comes out with it, and you get to stir it into the milk. And they were like, it's not sweet enough. Why do I have to stir it in? So... Thank God for the Field Museum. We knew it was going to be 
the answer to all of their desires and therefore subsequently the answer to all of our problems. The mu museum, maybe you've been there, it's interactive, there's space for kids to run around, there are other children there, and there are of course dinosaurs, and who doesn't love a dinosaur? Uh, my nephew Drew is especially a lover of dinosaurs, and he had not ever seen a dinosaur fossil of any significance, so we said we're going to take them to see Sue, who is, you know, have you seen Sue? Yes? Have you seen Sue? All right, if you haven't, you should. She is the largest ever discovered ever in the history of the world Tyrannosaurus Rex, right? So we're like, thank God for Sue, thank God for the Field Museum. We'll take them to see Sue. And on the way to the museum in the car, Drew has a dinosaur information book that he's been studying because he's that kind of kid. And he's telling us about the difference between the leaf-eating Brachiosaurus and the meat-eating Velociraptor, which is apparently the smartest dinosaur. Didn't you know Uncle Trey? And so we get there and... Uh, uh, we walk up the majestic front steps of the museum, and we pay for our tickets, and I put Drew on my shoulders, and I walk him over to the vast suit that is there in this beautiful end of the hall, and I put him down, and he just looks up at her, and is like, and he surveys her, and we, for this moment, the shared moment of beauty and silence, we just survey something that is so awesome to behold. It's just beautiful. And he looks at me with these wide open eyes and he says, is this it? I thought she'd be bigger than this. And he walks away to search for the, you know, underground uh, pyramid thing that you can go into because that was cooler. And I'm just like, Sue is the largest ever discovered ever in the history of the world, Tyrannosaurus Rex. This is so impressive. No use. Look, i got to be honest, though. Uh, I get it. I get it. Uh, I mean, Sue is impressive to me, but I know what it's like to want to encounter something so immense that it shatters my expectations. Maybe you've had that before. You, you want to encounter something so mind-bogglingly expansive that it just wrecks your expectation of it. You just We want that, right? And when it comes to God... And when it comes to spiritual life, when it comes to faith, I think we human beings long to encounter something really big. We long to be addressed by someone, a capital S, someone who is not us. We long to hear from that someone else. We long for direct communication from God. Please, God, we pray, please, God, address us Speak to us. Say what we need to hear. What do we want to hear? I don't know. What do we want to hear? All the things we want to hear, right? All the things we want to hear when we're laying on our beds in the middle of the night and staring up at the ceiling. All the things that we want to hear when we're like lost in the monastery of our mind on the CTA train or on the running trail. All the things that we just beg God to say to us. You are forgiven. This is the pathway to freedom. Here's how you get better. What do we want to hear? What do we want to hear? All shall be well. God, that's what we want to hear. All shall be well. And so we pray, we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And I don't know about you, but if you're like me, if you're like Drew, you are longing for something big when you pray that prayer. One of my friends in AA and Alcoholics Anonymous says, higher power, 
That's what some people in AA call God. Higher power, HP, I am totally open to you going supernova on me. Right? Right? And this is not a new longing. Okay? This is not a longing that emerged in the mid-century modern period 70 years ago. This is not a new aesthetic. Right? Longing has been around, it turns out, for some time. <laughs> so just to give you some context for the Gospels and the New Testament, the first few books in the New Testament, first four books, which are about Jesus' life and ministry, just to give you some context about the particular people in the particular places where those, those stories happened, where Jesus lived and ministered and those stories were written down, those folks in the first century Palestine, they had been longing, y'all, for generations for generations. It's easy to think about that in sort of a like of old kind of way, like back in the lore days, like generations probably not that long. Just think about that. They had been longing for dozens of generations. How does that feel to you? Can you imagine? I mean, how long has it been that you've been longing for something? You've been longing for like an eighth of a generation, right? <laughs> They've been longing for a long time. What have they been? They've been longing because they were poor, they were longing because they were oppressed. They were longing because they were tired. The South say they were tired. <laughs> they were tired of Caesar controlling their lives. They were tired of Caesar telling them what to do. They were tired of paying taxes that never made it to their children's schools in their neighborhoods, but made it to the better schools in better neighborhoods. They were tired, y'all. They were tired of hearing that freedom comes from the barrel of a gun. They were tired. And they were ready for God to do something. And so they prayed prayer after prayer. O come, O come, Emmanuel. They asked God to send a leader. More than the leader, they asked God to send a king. We think of king as like the QE2 now. We think of Queen Elizabeth, you know, that kind of king. But when you think king like sort of rolled into one, president, policy wonk, and general, all rolled into one. Someone who had the power to get things done, right? To make a difference, to end uh, our suffering, to fix national problems and lead us back into glory again as a nation, right? They were praying for the, depending on your politics, the first century equivalent of Bernie Sanders or, God help us, Donald Trump. And if the scripture is true, what we heard today, if what Luke and Jess read is true, then God heard all of those prayers, all of the prayers of generations. God heard all of those prayers and responded. And in the dumpster behind the Bethlehem Motel 6, a teenage girl gave birth to a baby. God heard all those prayers, and this is the answer, a baby. And maybe, if we're honest with ourselves, maybe we're like, Drew, we're like, really? This is it? A baby? This is your answer, God? I thought it would be a bigger deal. Um, most folks actually didn't even say that because they did not even realize that God had answered at all. I don't know if you knew this, but um, most folks missed Jesus' birth altogether. 
The only folks in the waiting room were a handful of shepherds, maybe some sheep. They let sheep into the hospitals back then. This is before foot and mouth disease, right? And uh, a couple weeks, maybe 10 days, sometime afterwards, uh, these incense-bearing sort of new age astrologers from the east, they made their way in. They were there at Jesus' birth. Uh, That was it. Turns out the the world missed it. Um, Jesus' birth was hardly noticed. But sometimes the hardly noticed thing is an opening into a deeper, vaster reality. Sometimes the small thing is the sign of a much, much bigger thing. I once attended a retreat led by a guy named Tom Troger, who's an Episcopal priest and hymn writer. And he told the story about uh, one, one day in his 50s, I guess, he had to have unexpected heart surgery. One of his valves in his heart had worn out. And so they were going to do surgery and put in a new valve, a new, uh, I don't know if this is a synthetic valve, but a new valve is going in. And so he had the surgery, came out of surgery, he's in the hospital room, and he woke up, Imagine sort of coming to, groggy, IV lines are in, the machines are beeping, and he hears outside of his room the sound of construction, sort of poof, poof, poof. And he's like, look, this is, you know, I should have a better room than this. I come out of a heart surgery, for God's sakes. Why am I close to the, you know, construction zone? And he realized as he came to that the poof, poof, poof was not the sound of a jackhammer outside or a wrecking ball on a crane, but was the sound of his refashioned heart. He could hear it, he could feel it reverberating in his chest. Something about the new valve amplified the sound of his blood gushing through his body. And for the first time in his life, he became aware of the process that had been keeping him alive, right, since he was alive. The small thing is a sign of the much bigger thing. Or sometimes it's more cosmic than one individual life, right? I I was uh, at the beach a couple summers ago. I'm a huge beach fan. And uh, I was sitting there looking out at the horizon. I don't know if you've done this. You sort of sit right as the surf comes to the, you know, right there, that sweet spot. And I was facing out, looking at the horizon. And the waves come in. And if you sit there long enough, lost in the monastery of your mind, that your feet will get covered by sand as each wave comes up. And after a little while, not that long, but you'll find yourself, you'll look down and you're like, oh my gosh, my, the sand's up to like here, right? Up to your ankles. That's where I was. And I w- all of a sudden in that moment, I felt this like, heard, felt this like thump beneath my feet. And like, right, what was it? It was a shifting of sand, right? It was a shifting of sand beneath my feet. But that like awakened me to the fact of how freaking small I am. Seeing one tiny little human being for a sliver of time sitting on this beach and connected in that moment in a seismic tectonic way. I'm so tiny but also connected to the land, to the water, to the inky blue black beyond and all the whales and the depths of all creation. I'm connected to that. Sometimes the small thing is an opening to a vaster and deeper reality. What I love about that scripture that Jess read from John, uh, that scripture is often read on Christmas Day. Um, We call it traditionally the prologue to John's gospel. Um, Did you hear it? Um, In the beginning was the word, 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I love that language. I love, it's really weird language, right? You can't just like read it. It's like you, you, you heard Luke read the narrative of the birth. You're like, oh, Jesus gets wrapped in swaddling clothes. It's a great story. You know, this is what happens, and there are animals, and angels. It's great. It's like really narrative. You're like, you're in. But John's like, let's do a little more mystical, right? And so in the beginning was the Word. And the word was God, was with God, and the word was God. And trying to point, I think, to this luminous, dark mystery that the baby born in the manger in first century Palestine is an opening into a deeper and vaster reality. The birth of Jesus, the baby, means more than just one human life in a sliver of history in Palestine. In the beginning was the word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so just stay with me for a second while I geek out one final time about the intersection of theology and science, okay? It's my last sermon I get to do this. <laughs> that little baby is, like I said, the sign of something, the small thing that is a sign of something so much bigger. Jesus is the incarnation, which is a big word that literally means the enfleshing, okay? Actually, more crassly put, what do you have when you have carne asada, right? Incarnate. It's the in-meeting, the in-fleshing, right? It's the real stuff, right? The, the incarnation is the in-fleshing of the Word who was with God, the Word that was God before the world even began. So Jesus came on the scene in first century Palestine, but the Word, Christ, who was God and with God, take that to your prayer closet, uh, was before the beginning of the world uh, already active. Okay? So the Apostle Paul writes later in Colossians, which is one of the most beautiful pieces of scripture we have, that Christ is the firstborn of all creation. All right? Paul's not talking about Jesus being born in a manger. He's talking about how Christ is the word that God used or was birthing the whole universe. Christ was, is the firstborn of all creation. Christ is the first enfleshment of, um, of creation way before Jesus came on the scene. That Christ is the way, Christ is God sort of spinning the stars into space. And Christ is God compressing energy into matter. And Christ is God becoming flesh. Before Jesus, this is actually a pattern of how God works and is, that Christ shows us, is God becoming with us? John says, all things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. So beautiful. My, my guru, Richard Rohr, I know you're going to hate hearing from him through my sermons. Uh, he's a Catholic priest, beautiful, beautiful writer. He talks about that what I just described is how, actually how physics talks about the origin of the universe. I mean, the physicists don't use religious or theological language. But the origin of the universe is like this, that everything burst forth from one point of mass energy, a singularity, otherwise known as the Big Bang, right? And that Big Bang started this sort of unfolding that is still 
happening, actually. It is still, the universe, the multiverse is still expanding. The word, y'all, who was God, who was with God, the word continues to enflesh. The word continues to enmatter. The universe continues to expand. Everything from the beginning to the end is, in a sense, christened, which I think is so beautiful. So this is the thing. The sign, the small thing that's the, the sign of the bigger thing. Jesus is not just an answer to our problems. Jesus, rather, is a sign of the whole beautiful, blessed thing. Christ is a theory of everything. It is the very, Christ is the very meaning of our existence. Christ is the purpose of our existence. Christ is the direction of the whole cosmos. And it is, he is, she is, in some beautiful, mysterious sense, the joyous fulfillment that is already and still is coming. It's the whole thing. It's the whole adventure. That's Christ. I think even, even Drew would say, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, we'll stay here for a while. Christian Kuhn and I started dreaming about starting a new church uh, nine years ago at a breakfast table. And uh, we started building it. It will be seven years ago this summer. And we told people that we felt asked by God. Violet was sort of dissing on call language. Uh, I like ask. Felt asked by God. You say yes, you can say no. Uh, to do something, to try to build something big and bold and unexpected in the city. And people, we tell them our story, trying to raise money or trying to get trying to get kind of buy-in. They'd be like, so you're trying to create a mega church if you want to be big. And we're like, you know, this probably isn't going the way of like me on Soldier Field one day. You know, right? <laughs> as much as I would like that, it's probably not going that way. It's not going that way. <laughs> Have you heard I'm moving to England? Um, <laughs> It's not going that way. Um, so uh, we're like, no, actually, we have this vision of doing something big, but not in like soldier field kind of way, but this connection, a constellation, if you will, of these different kind of small communities. And y'all, let me just say, it has been one of the two deep joys of my life to be part of seeing that vision and experiencing that vision begin to come into flesh. It's just begun to come into flesh. We're like light years, uh, light years back. You know, we're just the very beginning of the explosion of the Big Bang. And I feel so grateful that I got to be part of the first like six and a half years of the unfolding. And I'm so excited and sad that I'm not going to be part of it, but so excited to see what God, in God's, in the way God has always has been, to see what God will continue to unfold. Um, one of the things that happens when you say you're leaving is that people start to tell you uh, how it's really been for them, okay? It's like, uh, I say like, you know, uh, if you're making a pastoral visit and you're like, it's been so good to meet with you for tea today, thank you so much, and you go to the door and you put your hand on the doorknob and as soon as you put your hand on the doorknob, it's like, there's one more thing, can we talk about it? And you're like, yes, let's talk about that, right? <laughs> so people, all that's sick, people have been sending me just beautiful testimonies the past four months of how their lives have been changed by this community. Um, people, t these, you know these stories because they are your stories. People talk about how after experiences of being excluded, 
or abused or isolated or just bored out of their skulls, that Urban Village was a place where they could find their way back to God, find their way back to human Christian community. People have talked about um, how they were atheists and moved from being atheist to making a decision to follow Jesus. Amen? Amen? People have talked about how they were Christians and have made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time. Amen? Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. It's another sermon. <laughs> but you won't hear it. <laughs> I met with someone this week who said... Um, they came into Urban Village and they heard that E word. They hate that E word. They heard the evangelical evangelism word. They heard that and they're like, Mm-mm, I'm not part of this. I have done, I have been, a, no, 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 none of this tract abuse, some of this bait and switch stuff. And she said over time here, she has realized, and I'm quoting her in, in a, sort of an unexpected way. We're at table. She's pretty, pretty like, uh, Pretty, she's pretty chill, she's pretty sure, and she's just like got possessed, and she's like, I realize, like, I really have good news to share. I really do. I was like, you do. It's beautiful. Beautiful. So, oh, this is so much. That one, that one five seconds this week made it all worth it, just that. And then there are people I meet at conferences, other clergy, other lay leaders, and, you know, at conferences, you're like, who, do you, who are you? What do you do? And they're like, I'm like, oh, I'm Trey Hall. They're like, oh, where do, you, where do you work? I was like, oh, I'm at this church, this new church in Chicago called Urban Village. They're like, oh, you get to do ministry with people who, you get to be, on, like, at Urban Village? And I'm like, yeah, I get to be part of Urban Village, you know? Because they know the church, they don't know me, which is great. And uh, what they tell me is, like, you don't realize what a difference Urban Village has made to church in general, but mainline church, because what people have said, like, megachurches are great. I have nothing against megachurches necessarily. But they're like, megachurches, you're like, Willow Creek, a thousand people, community, I mean, all these thousands of people. Like, that just feels undoable. But what y'all are doing, it's just like inclusion and evangelism and just being who you are and small, scrappy communities in a city. We can do that. And it's like, yes, you can, you know? And so just, I just want you to know that you're, you know, you're, hopefully your lives have been changed here, but you, what you have undergone uh, as you have undergone the gospel, the testimony of your life has, has flowed out and, and expanded out so that other people and other communities, other denominations and non-denominations have decided that we can take the risk in Christ's name and way. I just love that. Um, so thank you for being that church that has been that, and thank you for being the church that continues to be open to God's continuing creation of you. Um, it's been a lot of change. You know, uh, y'all's lives have changed individuals. I've heard all these testimonies. We have changed a lot as a church in our almost seven years together. I tell the story of how Wicker Park, some of you may not know this. Wicker Park was our second site. We launched in 2010. Y'all, it launched with about 90 people, and then they did, did this for about 18 months. And at the end, there were a few of us who were like, should we shut it down? We, that was a real consideration. And some people were like, you know what? Let's try it again. Let's see if God will recreate us. And so we spun out here, and we've been growing ever since, right? So um, there's lots of change. Uh, who we were then is not who we are now. Who we are now is not who you will be in five years or five months. And that's scary, 
and beautiful. Um, I'm not the same person I was. This is sort of freaky for those of you all. I've, I've watched some of you grow up. I was 31 years old when I sat with Christian at that table and felt God ask me to start thinking about something. It took me two years. So I was 33 when I started community organizing and building Urban Village with Christian. I turned 40 this fall, right? I have changed a ton as a pastor and as a human being, largely because of you and who you are. But it's scary. Um, so before I say that, let me just say, let me just thank you, okay? Let me thank you for the love that you have shown me, the love you have shown Jonathan. Thank you for welcoming my leadership style, which is weird. I appreciate that. Um, I want to uh, apologize for the places I've gotten it wrong over the years, um, and I have, and to ask your forgiveness. And um, I want you to know that with every fiber of my uh, shared power with God, I will try to do better in the future. Um, but thank you for modeling for me what it's like to undergo the gospel. And thank you for letting me undergo that. It's scary, though, isn't it? It's scary. I mean, it's scary for me. It's scary for you. Um, your next pastor's coming. You don't know who she or he will be. You don't know. Um, you know, it's scary. And I was talking with Ann Williamson, who was the first resident, the first planting intern here some seven years ago. She's now a pastor uh, planter in Indianapolis. She was here the first service. She came in. It was wonderful. And she was saying to me, we're talking this summer, and she said to me how, like, isn't it interesting, Trey, as leaders of community, she's actually a lay person starting a church, just so you know. Some of you who are lay people, you can start churches. <laughs> can I get an amen? amen. All right. Amen. Mm -hmm. So that's another sermon <laughs> um, that y'all can preach. But she was saying, she was saying it's so interesting because preachers, leaders of communities are always saying to their people, to people in the pews, like, trust God, go with Christ, follow God, follow Jesus into the unknown, follow God into the mystery. You know, you can do it. With God, nothing is impossible, right? I mean, that's what preachers have been saying to you forever, right? It's true. But she's like, isn't it interesting that preachers and leaders of churches very rarely have to heed their own advice? Because it's, there's a little bit of security as a pastor. We just have to tell y'all to do it, you know? And so now I, I feel like because of a gracious invitation from God and my husband, I get a chance to go into the mystery and be scared and not know, and to trust God. And let me tell you, trust God, trust God, right? That is the right answer, right? It's the right answer. Everybody knows it. If you grew up in church, you memorized it in first grade. If you had a multiple choice test about Christianity is fill in the blank, you would trust God is the right answer, right? <laughs> and here's what I want to say to you all. This is my prayer and my hope that trust God will become more than just the right answer. That it will become more than just the thing you say because that's what you're supposed to say. Yeah, I trust God. I'm a person of faith. I pray that trust God will be something that you experience deep, deep, deep down in the heart and belly and gut of your being. That it will not just be uh, a belief like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe that I should trust God 
that it would be a living experience of the big bang of God continuing to filter through every fiber of your being. So that as you're engaged in all the things that we are called and asked to be engaged in, the call to believe, which is very important, the call to doubt, which is very important, the call to act for justice, which is very important, the call to behave in a way that is in concert with the grace and goodness of God, that as you, all of those things are super important, but as you do those things and believe and doubt those things, you would do that from an undergirding sense that God is with you in your very being. Because that makes all those things so much more doable and sustainable that you would begin to sense that Christ, who is God, who has been carrying us all along, you would be able to sense that deep in your being, that you are being carried right now by someone else who has been doing this all along. Um, I hope that if you remember anything about me, it is that in my own weird way, I have wanted to lift up Jesus. And that even more in my own weird way, I've wanted to help create a community where others can realize more aptly that they are being carried and lifted up by Jesus. That is my prayer, that you would know that you are held by all the riches of God's grace. Uh, that's my prayer. I've never been someone who's been good at ending sermons. It's just like, uh, you know, I'm a pretty good homiletician, but like that's where I feel like the professors are like, you need to work on your endings. I'm open to that. So I'll end with a song. That's an easy way to end. I'm going to teach you a song that was taught to me by Addison Shields, who is a minister in this conference. I'm going to invite you to sing this, but I'll sing it through once. Um, it's a little repetitive, so listen to it first. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for you brought me. Yes, you brought me from a mighty, a mighty long way, a mighty long way. I thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hold on. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you. It's a, it's a, it's, yeah. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for you brought me. Yes, you brought me from a mighty, a mighty long way, a mighty long way. So it's a little complicated, but you will get it. That last part's a little different, but you'll get it as you sing it. Let's try it. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for you brought me. Yes, you brought me from a mighty, a mighty long way, a mighty long way. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for you brought me. Yes, you brought me from a mighty, a mighty long way, a mighty long way. Hold on, hold on. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for you brought me. Yes, you brought me from a mighty, a mighty long way. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for you brought me. Yes, you brought me from a mighty, a mighty long way, a mighty long way.
I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord. For you brought me, yes, you brought me from a mighty, a mighty long way, a mighty long way. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord. For you brought me, yes, you brought me from a mighty, a mighty long way. My father, you've been my mother, you've been my sister, my brother too. Oh, you brought me, yes, you brought me tonight. I'm mighty. Mr. Peace, Mr. Peace. You've been my father, you've been my mother, you've been my sister, my brother too. Oh, you brought me, yes, you brought me from the mighty, a mighty long way. Next slide. You've been my bread, you've been my water, you've been my life, my everything. Oh, you brought me, yes, you brought me from the mighty, a mighty long way, a mighty long way. You've been my bread. 